0: Welcome to Virtual Expat, where we investigate the interplay between living overseas and living online. What happens to our online presence, our online persona, when we change countries? Does anything happen? Does one support the other? Does one conflict with the other? I don't know, but I wanted to find out. So I'm going to interview a lot of expats in order to get to the heart of this Question Is there interplay between our online selves and our geographically mm, varied self? I do want to give a special shout out to Damon Castillo, who graciously offered his Mess of Me album track for the Virtual Expat Podcast. It is my extreme pleasure to welcome Joe to the show today. Joe is a fashion professional who has been in Shanghai for over a decade and has basically built her adult life here and her experiences both on and offline are interesting and inspiring and very conscious methodical and mature and I mean that in the most respectful of ways. At my conversation with Jo, I really sat down with the questions that I asked her and I thought about the things that we talked about and I reworked the question. She was my first interview for the change in the podcast or the magnification of the podcast. Prior to this episode, for the previous 60 episodes, the podcast just kind of kept building and building and building upon itself. And there are good things that came out of that. The Expat Rewind podcast is one of those. Please feel free to check that out. But the other thing that came from it was that I kept bringing up the online part of our expat existence, and that's where Virtual Expat is going to go from here on out. And Joe definitely helped me see the way in what I was trying to get at and what might be some of the questions I wasn't asking and all kinds of insight that I had not anticipated before meeting her. So thank you, Joe. You have really, really helped me form this podcast into something I didn't even realize it could be. Without further ado, let's get into the conversation that I had with Jo. Thank you for coming today. I'm really excited to do this. So do you want to do a brief introduction? Yeah. Yourself?
1: So thank you. I am so grateful to be part of this. So my name is Joanne Kofner and I have lived in Shanghai for 10 years now and I first came over for six months. I've been working in the fashion industry all that time. And I've now got to a point where I've kind of started some independent fashion projects, one of which is Life in Breaths. I met my husband here and I have a son and about to have a daughter. So I feel that my life has, my adult life has kind of happened in Shanghai. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds like it has.
0: Now do you go by Joe or Joanna or either or both? Uh, Joe. Joe. Okay. Cool. Can you briefly give us a timeline of your overseasness? Where have you lived overseas for how long? That kind of thing.
1: I've always lived in Shanghai. Mm-hmm. I'm slightly embarrassed to say I probably no. always lived in the one square mile of Shanghai. Um, and basically, I before that I lived in London. Mm-hmm. So I'd always known I wanted to work in fashion. Mm-hmm originally from Manchester in the north of the UK and then had moved to London and my boss said do you want to go to Shanghai for six months because (laughs) I had decided to take a night school course in Mandarin Mm -hmm. just as something to do and then I went for six months and I loved it just mainly because I felt very connected to what I did. Mm -hmm. I didn't want to sit in an office in London in a different time zone negotiating to somebody faceless about price I Mm -hmm. wanted to really understand how my industry worked so I came over for six months and I was like this is my place you know (laughs) I can like be here and I can learn so much and it was like really so exciting for me especially back then because it was such a more of an undiscovered place Mm -hmm. and the personality of the people who Mm -hmm. came here was Very dynamic. So, yeah, and then I stayed, and now we're 10 years on. Amazing. And I stayed with my first job for five years, and then now I do something similar for Mm -hmm. a a very big clothing retailer. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's been a good journey. Very cool, very cool. Before you came to Shanghai, where did you exist online? Like, where did you post stuff? What did you do online? Facebook. Mm -hmm. So, probably 10 years ago. There was only Facebook, I guess. Um, <laughs> there were some things like MySpace or those types of things, but Facebook was my kind of only mm-hmm. go-to. And I probably had more of a presence there. Mm-hmm. So when I first came, Facebook was kind of just about to be blocked, and I mm-hmm. kind of went through that. and was kind of like, oh, my social... Media Mm -hmm. is really changing and that became a little bit difficult because the way I would keep in contact with friends Mm -hmm. or family had to change Mm -hmm. But yeah, just Facebook mainly. Okay, how long was it after you arrived? Before it was banned about three months three months. Okay, I needed to keep Mm -hmm. in touch And then I also wanted to share my experiences Mm -hmm. a lot because when I went back to the UK I found not that people were ignorant (laughs) but they were very stuck in a way of, oh China, it must be like this. And it felt very outdated and very uninformed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because life here was so exciting and we were doing so much. You know, they had a very dark, ages mm-hmm. approach. And I really wanted to show that actually, wow, this life I was leading was amazing. Mm-hmm. And I was getting all these opportunities and experiences that I would never have got in the UK. Do you think people have the lack of knowledge about China or about living overseas or both about china i would say okay yeah because i think 10 years ago people had a certain view Mm -hmm. of Mm -hmm. china and its development that was very outdated unless you had been here Mm -hmm. you know i think that at the time china was undergoing such a radical transformation for Mm -hmm. the positive and actually that's never really reported in the right way in the UK Mm -hmm. or in global media. So they were just kind of saying, Oh, you know, like you must have to eat this or you like you never be able to do that and actually it wasn't true. So I really wanted to find some way to share that. Mm -hmm. And I'd started to do small projects like blogs Mm -hmm. because I was very interested in this but I was very Mm untechnical. So I started a few things like, you know, Shanghai Lady in the city or Mm -hmm. Shanghai Secret Shopper or These types of things related around what I was doing as my day job, Mm -hmm. but also my experiences in China. Mm -hmm. But I found that I didn't really have the momentum to continue them. Mm -hmm. How long did you do them for? Uh, Probably about six months. That's a pretty long time in the blogosphere. Yeah, Yeah, yeah. but I would say they were quite infrequent and Ah. they were mainly linked around a business idea. So like, you know, secret shopping tools. or. Uh discovering something new in Shanghai, that type of thing.
0: Okay. Is your audience then, like, somebody coming in as a traveler or as somebody moving here?
1: Probably somebody coming in as a traveler. I think I just felt there was so much potential to do something here. And I needed to catch the crest of that wave. And I probably didn't do it because my language skills were not Mm -hmm. as strong as I wanted them to be. Mm -hmm. And I felt a little unsure about starting a business here when I had... A really good job you know it's not something that I had to necessarily do yeah and I think I didn't necessarily do it for the passion of doing it yeah. I did it because of it should become something else why should it become something else I think here there is a, a feeling and more so now than back then that you can achieve anything here mm-hmm. so if you want to start your own company you can do especially back then there weren't so many people who you know spoke English mm-hmm. uh, could you know in my job i would bring buying teams here and i would show them around and i would show them all these shops and stuff and they were like this is amazing it's better from hong better than hong kong and i felt there was potential there to make that into something that could earn a profit and i think that was the not the downfall but a reason why there was a pressure and it didn't become something that was made out of love, it became, mm-hmm. oh, well, it should be something bigger. Yeah.
0: There's an inch in the market, I should fill yes. it, that kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, exactly. It's really funny that you mentioned the opportunity and I heard, also heard competition because I kind of feel that in Shanghai. Yeah. But not as strong as the locals that I meet on how they feel the competition. I think they feel it stronger. I listen to a ridiculous amount of podcasts <laughs> and, and there's a new one from Mike Shaw called Migratory Patterns and it's really interesting because he interviewed a Chinese woman who lived in the U.S. for about 10 years or so, and I'm going to get that slightly wrong, and then she came back to China, and she was talking about how much opportunity there was in the U.S. compared to China for her, and he was talking about how much opportunity there was. He's an American. How much opportunity there is in China compared to the U.S. And they were both like, so it's always the other, (laughs)
1: Mm -hmm. it seems to be the other place that has more opportunities for us than our own. Which is yes. interesting. Yeah. I wonder whether that is true or whether it's just our thought process right. and mindset. Right. You know, yeah. I wonder if I'm moving to the UK, <coughs> my current project, I really feel I would continue. Mm-hmm. Like, Shanghai gave me the passion and momentum to start it. But mm. I think if you really believe in something, mm-hmm. you can make it succeed mm-hmm. anywhere. But you maybe see opportunities in a new country because you're seeing everything new for the first time.
0: I agree, I agree. For me, I think I could I could continue them creatively, but time-wise, I think I'd be pressured because in the U.S. right now, our job market is getting so crazy. The, the little vacation time we had is going away, the medical system is getting worse. Like There's all these things that are getting worse, and so I'd have less time to be able yes. to work on them. And that's a huge factor for me here, is I get to work a little, make enough, and do a lot of my own thing. And yeah. that
1: doesn't really exist in the U.S. unless you're rich. <laughs> I would totally agree, yeah. because also I think here you have the convenience of almost everything. Mm-hmm. You can get takeaway to your door, mm-hmm. you can get a driver to your door mm-hmm. for such a small amount of money compared to in a Western country. Yeah. So you're not having a long commute, you're not waiting on a taxi. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I definitely agree. Mm-hmm. But I, I hope that I will carve out some time, but let's see. Okay, so so far we have, you kept going with
0: Facebook when you came to Shanghai, then you had some blog, were you posting anywhere else, like Instagram or...
1: No, I'm still quite new to Instagram You know, I I wish I was better at it. And I kind of fell off Facebook. Mm-hmm. Mainly, I guess I didn't want to share so much. Mm-hmm. I would start then just to do, you know, here's six months of pictures at one time. Mm-hmm. Mainly because things took so long to upload. Yeah. But I kind of fell a little bit off the social media
2: mm-hmm.
1: wagon. And I, potentially that's because WeChat came on board. Mm-hmm. And it became much more focused around uh, social media mm-hmm. in this country, locally. Mm-hmm. You definitely have a website now life and breath is yep. that the next yeah I experimented a little bit with Twitter mm-hmm. See, I tend to go in very enthusiastic about these things yeah. and be like oh, I'm gonna do my Twitter profile and not really understand how to work any of them and I feel like I'm such a big technophobe which has probably stopped me doing mm-hmm. anything to a certain level online mm-hmm. and it's Probably only because I approach this in a very different way that I've succeeded in doing it. Mm-hmm. Because there was probably three to four months where I didn't do anything because I didn't ask for help. I didn't reach out and say, yeah. "I don't know how to do this." So yeah, there was a time where it was just a little bit of a, a desert, and probably that was because I was having such a good time here. Yeah, I was very focused on Shanghai being my home, mm-hmm. and. Oh you know we talked briefly before a little bit about you know I came here for six months Mm -hmm. and then I decided I would stay and I stayed with the intention to make this my home Mm -hmm. I had a lot of friends who kind of came for the experience and left Mm -hmm. and I said I have to change my mindset and my thinking to adapt to my new country Mm -hmm. because this is where I'm going to stay and I think sometimes you don't write about what it's like at home home is your you're normal. You're everyday, so yeah. it doesn't become the novelty. Yeah. And I think that's what happened. Uh, probably after the first year, that was like, this is where I'm going to be. Mm-hmm. I don't need to share that experience because the people around me know that experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I became a little disconnected to back home, mm-hmm. but it helped me settle by not pointing out the differences.
0: Yeah. No, I get that, and that's a really good point. Is that that balance between online and offline? Mm-hmm. You don't want to be. Well, you can be so offline that you're enjoying just the online. Wait, no. I think I said that backwards, <laughs> like it's, it, it feels natural to be just offline and to enjoy where you are, but if you're just online and not enjoying where you are at all, that seems off kilter. And if there's mm. some sort of balance between the two, that seems okay too, but yeah. Um, it seems natural to want to plug into where you are physically, not just electronically.
1: Yeah, and I yeah. very much felt like I was in the right place. Mm-hmm. So I didn't feel I needed to look for something else mm-hmm. online mm-hmm. and I think that was a great thing and I met mm-hmm. such interesting people here mm-hmm. that I would never have really connected to back home. Mm-hmm. So my life is very much based around, you know, having a good time here.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And then I would, you know, when I would go back home, it would be for visits and I would catch up with people face to face. So when you were doing the blogs, were you
0: looking? to inform people or were you also looking for people to connect
1: to during kind of maybe a culture shock state when you first moved I was kind of looking for people to inform Mm -hmm. you know to kind of say I'm a fashion professional out here if you come I can help support you I think that was more the intention with the early projects Mm -hmm. I think with the culture shock I just kind of surfed the wave a little bit Mm
0: -hmm. because
1: I think I came with the intention that I'm not going back to the UK. Right. You were in it for the long haul. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, You know, I'd um, split with a partner, I'd come here and I was like, this has to work. Mm -hmm. There is no like going back to a nice little (laughs) job or place in the UK. And yes, that could have been an option, Mm
2: -hmm.
1: but it was very much a mindset choice. Mm So I just rolled with the culture shock, and I had a couple mm-hmm. of friends who were like, oh my goodness, like, I have this issue at work, and the, you know, the culture difference really added to that. Mm-hmm. And my view was, I have to change myself mm-hmm. to fit in with the new country. People aren't going to change their point of view, and why should they? And I think that really helped. And whenever I've had times where I've struggled here, it's because mm-hmm. I thought, well, my view is the right one, actually. Mm-hmm. It's not, mm-hmm. you know. And I think that's also informed a lot of my approach in what I'm doing now mm-hmm. because my project now is much more around connecting people mm-hmm. regardless of where you're from. Mm-hmm. We're all human. So I think that's been an interesting journey for me as well. Yay. That I would never have got to that level of understanding had I not moved away.
0: Wow. Okay, so it's, it sounds like Shanghai kind of brought that out
1: of you. Yeah. I think I was living, not, it sounds. Quite sad to say I was living a half life. I, I wasn't, but I hadn't grown emotionally or into mm. an adult until I moved to Shanghai. Because you have to, you know, you meet people mm. and you're like, oh my goodness, you speak English. And I would chase people down the street if they spoke <laughs> English because, you know, I couldn't read a menu, there was nobody else who spoke mm. my language. And then you become friends with people that you would never, ever mm-hmm. interact with in the UK. Mm-hmm. And you sometimes have to filter yourself and kind of say, okay, well where's the point of connection? Mm-hmm. Rather than potentially in your home country you might be like, oh we're slightly different. So I think that's been a very uh, good thing for mm-hmm. me. I wonder how I will cope going back to the UK, whether I will see certain attitudes reappear. Oh,
0: reentry is hard. <laughs>
1: We tried it twice
0: since I, I think. When did I leave? Leave? I don't think I count my backpacking as having left because it was only a few months at a time, and then I'd come back for a few months and go back and forth. So let's count when I first moved for a longer stretch. It's 2003, and um, both times I've tried to re-enter and re-establish back in the U.S. It's just been like the U.K. could very well be very different, but it was, it's. Very difficult to leave a lot of the things that you've learned and mm. seen and experienced and accept just what's there. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? That that variety of people, that variety of mindsets, the tolerance for differences yes. is often not always there, even in cities in the West. And
1: sorry San Francisco, but it's true. <laughs> <laughs> I totally yeah. agree. And I would say that's when I'm on social media and mm-hmm. I pick up with that type of an attitude Mm -hmm. it does shock me and it does make me think okay potentially this is why i haven't been on social media for a while because i really enjoyed having such a wide network Mm -hmm. of friends Mm -hmm. and those have all moved on now yeah um but it definitely grew me as a person
0: yeah no i know what you mean i know what you mean. i have even like the people that i was that i went to university with but that was pre geez do we even have email yeah i think we just started to get like hotmail But we didn't have any social media yet, so I've I've lost a lot of people there because I I could go look them up and track them down, but Mm -hmm. I'm like, ah, okay, whatever. The people that I kept in contact with, I did, and the people that didn't, it's fine. I don't need to be a social media friend only. But the the people that I was on social media with at the beginning, a lot of them have kind of fallen away, or I'll see them occasionally on LinkedIn. But there isn't a lot of contact because there isn't a lot in common anymore. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not a bad thing. I mean, I think... That probably happens no matter what we end up doing in
1: life and i also think there's a a big tendency especially now to filter your life versus social media
2: mm-hmm.
1: so it's very rare that you actually see an honest and authentic view of what a person is dealing with you see their you know face tuned, photoshop beautiful photos and everybody posts you know like their holiday snaps and says isn't it great but you know you lose the real connection mm-hmm. and i think that uh we need to reestablish that in some way—the honesty of what it's like to be human, rather than. This. How
0: the heck do we do that? No, I, I agree with you completely. Like I've, I've always shared like just little clips and bits of my daily life to try to get people back home to understand that I'm not always traveling, I'm actually working and living mm-hmm. in a place and so I'll include like, just like pictures of cafes or like what cool license plates because they're in a different language and stuff like that and they're mm-hmm. like, oh it sounds like you're having a blast every minute and I'm like, no the point is I'm not. I'm having a normal life just over here yep. and it doesn't seem to register that that's possible. <laughs> so how do we get a fuller picture of ourselves online?
1: I mean, this is what my current project is, yeah. uh, delving in yeah. and experimenting with. So Life & Breaths is basically a community for people to share their stories. Mm-hmm. And my view is that we all go through challenges, but rarely are we the first ones to face those mm-hmm. challenges. There's somebody who has been through that experience before. And if we shared that and we were very open about how it felt and, you know, the good and the bad times, potentially it could really help people. Mm-hmm especially in quite dark times so it's a community there for people to post something that they're passionate about and they want to share with others that is very non-judgmental there's no side ulterior motive for it apart from the fact that if you're having a bit of a crap time you could read somebody's story and you could say okay well I can see how they got through it there's hope for me yeah and you know I feel like I wouldn't have started this as I had not come to Shanghai mm-hmm. and potentially now I'm slightly older <laughs> and had some more experiences to write about. Yeah. And seen different people like coaches, like executive coaches, holistic mm-hmm. coaches and had some experiences which were worth sharing. Yeah. You know, and I think I've just written a post recently about postnatal depression mm-hmm. which is one thing where people are kind of like, you know, you should no, you should keep the myth of how great motherhood is but you don't read very authentic points of view on right on if you've had a tough time right, right. and the reaction that i've had to that has been outstanding in yeah. terms of people have shared it globally so mm-hmm. in australia and sweden yeah. in the uk and people have really kind of said thanks so much because mm-hmm. it's difficult to find something that's written authentically and from the heart yeah. and for me it was very difficult to share that but i thought actually the point of what i'm doing is to say we're all human we all have these experiences yeah. we have to be more open about them so yeah I think that's really my motivation and why it's important and since then I've had a lot of people come to me and kind of say, I was very depressed I was suicidal or I had uh, eating disorder and now I feel I can open up and share yeah and my goal is to get those people to write about their experience and kind of say okay yeah it was the worst times but I ha- I found strategies to get through this yeah, yeah. and I think that can resonate wherever you are in the world yeah. because we can all feel alone whether we're an expat whether we're surrounded by our family Oh yeah. but if you don't have anybody to talk to if you can go to an online resource which is written in a way that's from the heart it's not preachy it's not judgmental then you maybe feel you have a friend mm-hmm. no that's beautiful to get people to, to to create that space where somebody can do that mm. is there is it in only an online space now, or is there an offline space? Only online for the moment. <coughs> um, it's a very new project, so yeah. I don't know what it could or yeah. will become. And it's mainly online so that it can reach out to as many people as possible. And it's been interesting to see how certain articles have been shared mm-hmm. uh, globally. And I think it's we all have common issues. Mm-hmm. You know, somebody wrote a blog about financial freedom. There's one about postnatal depression, you know, there's one about interactions with your partner. Mm -hmm. So, you know, wherever you are in the world, I think those resonate. And I think when I think, would it go offline, would it be a book or Mm. could it be a podcast? I think podcast, yes, but I don't know whether, how it could evolve. And I think that's the exciting thing. Maybe somebody will see it and they can see a way that it could evolve. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I could see it going into a podcast and then maybe a book, but just a book first might be too static.
1: Yeah, and potentially coaching sessions. Yeah, you yeah. You know, one of the great things I feel about Shanghai is that you have such a diversity of people and mm-hmm. access to them. So mm-hmm. I've worked with some executive coaches, some health coaches, mm-hmm. which I could never have maybe afforded in the UK Mm -hmm. I wouldn't have thought were appropriate for me whereas now I'm kind of like we should seek help from you know these people who come into our lives so it could be something to do with that because you know if we can coach people through things and mentor them they can find the answers for themselves
0: Are you enjoying this conversation about our virtualness and our geographic colliding? Me too. Hey I would love to interview you. Do you live in a country that is not your home country? Let's talk about your experience. Let's do it. Contact me at stephfuccio, S-T-E-P-H-F-U-C-C-I-O at gmail.com. Or you can hit me up on any of my social media platforms. I am Steph Fuccio on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr. So contact me. Let's line this up. I would love to get your opinion into these questions. out into the world. Let's do it. Do you think it's easier for people to open up online because it is slightly removed from the real life
1: risk and vulnerability? I would personally I think it's high at risk. Is it? I found, especially with this article, I found it more high risk because online you're very faceless mm-hmm. in terms of the comments that you leave. So if you write an article and you allow people to write comments or you share that article mm-hmm. with strangers, people can have any opinion on it. And mm. the feedback that you get can can be hurtful if it's misinformed yeah. or it's not meant in a good way. You know, you can put your intentions out there and say, I want to do this in a non judgmental way and I want to help people. Yeah. But how people receive it, especially if it's very different type of person you have no idea (laughs) because if you share something Mm one-to-one you kind of get that instant feedback from their body language or you Mm -hmm. share with somebody who you trust Mm -hmm. so i was quite fearful in some ways about putting some of these things online especially when they were so personal and i thought you know my kids will read this Mm -hmm. my mom will read this but then i thought well am i doing it from a place of helping others Mm -hmm. it's not gonna harm anybody Mm -hmm. will there be a benefit to putting this out there and I thought yes and that is why probably why I had a long time that I didn't do anything on social media because Mm -hmm. I just felt there's so much content out there and what is the point of adding to it what do I have to say Mm -hmm. and for a long time I didn't have anything to say yeah it was just adding content And then this is the first time where I thought actually there's a value to this because I can see the other side Mm -hmm. of this picture-perfect Instagram. Everybody looks amazing. And when you're sat there not feeling that way, where do you go? Right, right. It almost makes... There there are actually studies and stuff, right, where they talk about people
0: seeing all of that happiness and being Mm -hmm. like, why don't I feel like that? And it makes them feel worse. Yes. Is there any danger in now let me preface that in some reality <laughs> i had a female surgery when i was in iowa before, at grad school doing a phd i purposely did not finish about let's see i've been here a year and a half that was my first year of school so it must be about three or four years ago and i was in a very very small town with a very very small group of people around me who were very very Focused on school and I Mm -hmm. did not feel like that was the place to share everything that was going on medically So when I found that website and that had the forum that literally Would like put people by their surgery date and Mm -hmm. we would share our experiences the whole way through our recovery together I was like this is it. This is how I process this experience and so I followed it I think we went like three months and then we could stay on there longer but people started to drop off because they could do their real life again kind of thing. And that was one of the most powerful online experiences I've ever had. Mm. However, there were some women on the boards that I felt like I connected with on more than just that we're going through the same pain kind of scenario. Mm. And I felt like all they knew about me was the pain. Mm. And I felt like it was kind of like the other side of seeing too much, only happiness. Mm. Is there a potential for seeing... Only the sadness
1: yes I mean first of all I would say I think it is wonderful that you had that environment and Mm -hmm. I think we need more online environments that are secure Mm -hmm. and open and it's gonna sound awful but not that give you like a security or a cuddle Mm -hmm. but that you feel safe in because there's too many where you can go in and actually uh, not get there yeah and I think with this blog with everything (coughs) I try and do is to yes tell people the real side of it but Mm -hmm. also to say yeah it's painful and it's terrible but this is what I'm going to do about it Mm -hmm. so when I wrote this most recent article the first part was like sharing my experience of postnatal depression and the second part was I'm 38 weeks pregnant I'm about to have my second child how am I going to cope with this if this happens again so it was like eight points of you know these are the fundamental things that I will build into my life to stop yeah. it happening again. Yeah. Or if it does happen that I've informed people and that I have my action plan. And I think that's important. I think it's when you have environments where you do mm-hmm. just dwell on the pain, mm-hmm. I don't think those are positive necessarily. Yeah. I think you should feel comfortable to share it, but then you have to feel like you have this tribe of people who can really kind of say, mm-hmm. I've got your back and yeah. you know, I'm going to help lift you out of this. Yeah. Um, so I would always say that there has to be the other side of it. So we should be authentic, but it shouldn't ever just be so negative. Because also, I think that's really depressing to read. It is. <laughs> um, you know. So I, when people read it, I kind of want them yeah. to go, okay, I understand where this person's coming from, yeah. and I can believe in her authenticity yeah. because you know I empathise with what she's saying. Mm. But ultimately, the second part of the article I find more important because it's like okay I mean none of these are very new but you know try and meditate mm-hmm. eat well you know pick something that's really going to get you out bed in the morning and have those strategies and stick to them mm-hmm. and often we can find all that stuff on the internet very easily mm-hmm. but it takes a voice to kind of say I've been through this and these were the things that helped mm-hmm. for me it's the online environments that provide a solution mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. you can't just go and say you know life is a bit crap because that doesn't move you on it doesn't grow you doesn't get you anywhere it's kind of saying life's a bit crap but i did x y and z i got over this i went on to live in a great place and do all these wonderful things so
0: and and the women on that board to be fair were not they weren't stewing in it or refusing to move on actually as, as soon as things got easier for them. they just they kind of fell off the board because they started to do other I mean, stuff.
1: And I would just say you know the interesting the, thing f- for me in yes. hearing that is also the time that we write about the experience. Mm-hmm. you know, a lot of the experience I write with hindsight, which a beautiful thing because mm, I have yeah, a lot yeah, of yeah. clarity. Yeah. Whereas it sounds like your environment, people are in that they situation. In oh yeah. Yeah. And yeah. you can't sometimes be positive when you're going through a lot of pain because you don't have the energy to yeah. do that. Yeah, yeah, so I think that's also an interesting thing about online because it's a snapshot of time mm-hmm. for certain people. Mm-hmm. So I think it's very natural if you're going through a really tough time, at that time you can't always be positive. Sometimes it's just focus on, am I going to live or die? Mm-hmm. And you have to put your strength in other things. So I am very lucky to say a lot of the things I write with hindsight.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a good point. Like if they did an anniversary of that event yeah. like five years later and go, okay, ladies, now, not for three months, but for three days, write about it now. Yeah. What's happened since then? That would be...
1: And you would yeah. probably find that mm-hmm. the experiences that you had shaped you into stronger mm-hmm. people. Oh, for sure. And many of you would look back and say, actually, I'm really glad that happened yes. because it gave me a resilience mm-hmm. that I wouldn't have found had it not happened to me.
0: I don't know that I would be glad that I <laughs> would. <laughs> I do think that there there's positive things to come from nearly
1: everything, but yeah. I would never wish to repeat
0: any of that. Yes, <laughs> I do.
1: I definitely uh that. And I say that uh, about eight years ago, I had a, I was hit by a motorbike. When I was in Malaysia, I was crossing a road, yeah. and it broke my both legs in several places. Oh, and really? um, I didn't know whether I would live or walk again. Yeah. Um, I didn't know if I would have my legs. But what came from that experience was I felt very humble. Yeah. And I felt like I've done that. I can kind of get through anything. And that's why for me some of these experiences experiences, although horrific at the time, I'm not you know, I wouldn't choose to be run over again. Yeah. <laughs> but I would you know, I'm glad that I've had the opportunity to learn yeah. an emotional resilience that potentially I wouldn't have had before. Right. And I guess that's what I mean to right. to your experiences you will have got something from it that probably you use in different situations without maybe oh, realizing. Oh, it's definitely made me a tougher
0: person. For a certain age, it feels like everybody's had something. Yep. And it, it's more <laughs> a factor of how did we deal with it? Yes. Uh, did we ever get past it and learn from it versus did we get stuck?
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I exactly what you say. You know, you go through life and that's what makes it rich mm. is that you you know you have these great times but there are also challenges and it's just about it's kind of saying well how did we get through it mm-hmm. or are we still stuck in certain things mm. you know I know I'm definitely not perfect there's certain things where I try and keep a journal on and off and I reread it sometimes and I look at my 18 year old self and say I still write the same thing and I'm 36 now but that's where I I am trying to find some way to go forward and I think that this blog is just part of that. Yeah. Okay. Wait, I think I missed the progression from the blogs,
0: from the fashion world yeah. and the blogs to life and breaths. Yep. What was,
1: was there any one thing or person or something that, that led you to start this? Product? That is a very good question. So I had my son two years ago mm-hmm. and I struggled heavily with becoming a mom. Um, I didn't necessarily feel I had the support network I needed here. I felt like everybody was putting on that wonderful face of, aren't things brilliant? And I was like, no, they're not. And I didn't have the close relationships here where people were necessarily as authentic as I needed them to be. You know, like if you have friends at home, they'd probably be a bit more honest and kind of take you for a glass of wine and it would all be fine. But here, I didn't have that. And it's not to say it doesn't exist, I just didn't have it. So I rushed back to work and I started on a very new project which was totally different to what I was doing before Mm -hmm. and it really opened my eyes in terms of how we live and design things. So it was designing a creative space for a big multinational organisation. And it made me think about, okay, the interactions that we have, is it important where we have them and how we have them? And that made me think much more about how we connect as people. So, for example, if we're sat in a coffee shop, is this a different conversation that we're having versus if we were sat in a Mm. library or an office? So I was kind of in this frame of very much creative thinking and challenging how we do things. Should we be working 9 till 5? Is Mm. that how we're most productive? So I had all this kind of going on in my head. I was also reading things like the Minimalist Podcast, Mm. which talks about, uh, you know, living with less. Uh, use things, love people, that type of approach, mm-hmm. which as a shopper I had. That was new to me, but <laughs> so that had come into my life. Yeah. And I was just kind of thinking, do you know, we have so much stuff in our life and it can start to feel like a burden. Mm-hmm. So one day I was on their website and it went through how they made their blog.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And it was like, you know here's the idiot's guide to making a vlog and I was like do you know what I am just going to yeah. do this yeah. and it was very much the reason why I started it was because I'd gone to a conference in Manchester when I was on maternity leave about age mm. and how we perceive age and challenging our ideas about getting older Mm -hmm. so the blog started to do with redefining age and ability Mm -hmm. and also after my accident I thought if I'd ended up in a wheelchair or had prosthetics would people have thought of me in a different way Mm -hmm. so it's about age and ability Mm -hmm. so I thought that's where I'm gonna start followed this easy plan and then put it up there and then I was like okay I've done this now What do I do with it? And then kind of paused because I didn't feel I had the IT knowledge to take it any further. Mm -hmm. And I kind of didn't know what I wanted to say. Mm -hmm. So I just kind of said, oh, you know, like here's a fashion post about somebody older who's been featured in a campaign. And then it went silent. And I made the decision to reach out with the lady who had done my template. Mm -hmm. So I bought a template and I kind of said to her,
0: I've never thought to do that. That's really cool. Like, you know.
1: I don't know what I'm doing can you help me Yeah. and she sent me a tutorial that you know it was online I could have found it but she sent it to me yeah. and I just thought you know what there's somebody there to help me yeah. if I need it yeah. and potentially what it just needs is a bit of time so I just spent a couple of hours on it and then I wrote down any questions and she helped me yeah and she was like here's an online course and it was very easy to understand she did it in a really cool way, it was very down to earth, no uh, technical language which is perfect for me mm-hmm. and that was the start of me kind of saying okay I can do this I can put a post on a website yeah. and even now it needs so much work doing to it but I felt like okay I, I have my person here yeah. and then it evolved mainly just because I would think about things and I was like I'm just going to write about it I'm just mm-hmm. going to have an article about it so I would do things about I wrote an article about the power of touch how important it was yes. to give somebody you know a power a touch because it, for some people that's really a key thing yeah. for others they're like no way yeah. and just exploring that dynamic of yeah. it and then I started to talk about it to people mm-hmm. because you know people are always like you have to make these things manifest themselves talk to people about it mm-hmm. and then from that people started to uh, contribute so I had a couple of contributors and then I asked somebody who used to work at my organization and had left and I really valued her opinion Mm -hmm. you know she was a role model I aspired to and she actually said you know I've been thinking of doing something similar I would love to contribute Mm -hmm. and that was the kickstart Mm -hmm. and her first article she wrote about the fact that she had type 1 diabetes and her journey Mm -hmm. with that and Mm -hmm. she said I will do a series of articles Mm And she was so honest and vulnerable and wrote from the heart that I thought, wow, she's put into words and into life what I've been trying to do. And that really inspired me to write more from the heart myself and to put it into something bigger than it being about age or ability.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So now when I talk to people, I say, you know, just please write about what you're passionate about." Mm-hmm. And people always say, oh, but I'm not a writer. And I said, neither am I. I'm just like, I'm not a writer. Mm. If you're passionate about something, that's what will show.
2: Mm.
1: And everybody who's been a contributor for it, their stories have always been so powerful.
2: Mm.
1: I think, you know, that's really been the key thing. And the blog will change based on who contributes to it. Mm -hmm. So it could be about finance, you know, for one week, or it could be about you know, medical conditions like diabetes, it's very wide Mm -hmm. and I think that's the fun thing about it at the moment. Mm -hmm. Is it important where and how we have those conversations? I'm assuming your answer was no to that, or what? For me, when I was doing this project at work, I really thought it was important. Mm -hmm. You know, when you sit in a blank, white room and it's very austere. Mm. Do you really have the meaningful conversations Mm. versus if you're sat in a coffee shop? And the reason Mm. I saw it is because I felt a lot of colleagues would, you know, go outside and pay Mm. 30 quai for a coffee because they didn't want to be in the office. Mm. And I wanted to create a space where it felt like I want to hang out here, I want to be here. Mm. And all of the, you know, new companies like Google or Apple or LinkedIn Their offices are very relaxed, Mm -hmm. so for me I felt like it was hugely important. And there was a quote that always stuck with me from Winston Churchill that said, we shape our spaces and therefore they shape us. And my husband's an architect, that's what he does, and my dad has always been in construction. And I thought, well, yeah, if you're somewhere where you feel comfortable, and this could be online or offline. Mm-hmm. You can tend to be more open, you know.
0: So it's more a matter of is it a comfortable space on/offline slash than is it online or offline. Yeah. Yeah, so it's that yeah. Yeah. That, and yeah. I, you know, for me
1: the my work project was a physical space, mm-hmm. but what I want to create is almost a space like that mm-hmm. online, mm-hmm. you know. And I think it's difficult because also, people have different experiences with technology, with spelling, with writing. Yeah. You know, if they're not comfortable in writing because they maybe have dyslexia or something, that can be a barrier. Yeah. So, how do you have tools that help them? Like, I think podcasts are a great thing because you can just sit and listen to people. I
0: hadn't even thought of a lot of these things. It's funny, I've, I stumbled into podcasting. One, because I listened to too many and it eventually just came out of me. And two, because I, I had eye issues for a few years and mm-hmm. it's it's easier to talk than it is to write and edit, edit, and edit, and edit. Yep. So it's, it's easier on the eyes, and so I was like, okay, well that makes sense, I'll just use the recording feature. But yeah, there are people with blogs and websites who would struggle with communicating mm-hmm. with the reader or even just
1: spending that much time yeah on a screen. Because to them it's a choice. you yeah. know it's reading, it's something it can be something difficult. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Whereas I have now got into audiobooks, I feel like a grandma was saying it. that, but oh my goodness, like I've been listening yeah. to Harry Potter, which I never would have done had it not been on an audiobook. and I find it really accessible and very <coughs> honest also because you can hear a tone of a voice. Mm-hmm. So potentially that would be a way to evolve also what mm-hmm. I'm doing. For sure. For
0: sure. No, Harry Potter.
1: Mm. <laughs> I did the entire series in audio. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah.
0: Now I actually lean towards audio. For, I, I look for audio first because of my eyes, but honestly, I used to do both. I'd come home from libraries with like a stack of books, audio books and magazines, and my back would hurt. But it'd be so much fun just to have that kind of variety of different things. And depending on what I was doing, if I wanted
1: to sit in a coffee shop versus go walk around the park, I would have different stuff to listen to. Definitely, and I listened to a great podcast by a doctor in the UK called Dr. Chatterjee, and I would probably never have read some of the if they'd been written down as as articles because he can be quite in depth. But what I've learned from just actually hearing his forty-minute podcast are amazing about, you know, how our body works, our mental health, how it's linked to what we eat. So, I think it's also a great way to learn in a more comfortable way than having to sit and look at mm-hmm. quite a heavy textbook yeah
0: oh yeah no and there are some things where you do need
1: to do the grind of books and paper yeah but a lot of stuff you don't Yep. <laughs> and I would say especially with things like education opening up in terms of online courses mm-hmm. so I've often thought should I go back and retrain <laughs> and do yeah. some kind of certified course and I've realized I can do that for free Mm -hmm. and I can dip my toe into certain waters without having to commit to quite a heavy Mm -hmm. financial burden Mm -hmm. or long-term course and I think that's very exciting when it starts to open up that way too. Mm -hmm. No,
0: no, 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 that was, that was, the only reason we tried to reintegrate back into, sorry, why I went to grad school back in the U.S. is because we were thinking it could be a pathway, not just to get the degree, but to get back into the U.S. Because it takes some time to get back in, to buy everything you need, to get a community around you and that kind of thing. But here we are.
1: (laughs) I would also say, just on um, thinking about that, there was also a couple of online courses, which I did which really helped influence the blog. So mm. there was the science of wellness, mm-hmm. the science of happiness, mm-hmm. and one about positive psychology. So I had all those swimming about in my head yeah, thinking, yeah, yeah. I can't remember the statistics, but the majority of what we read is about negative medical conditions, like depression, so, yeah. these types of things. You don't read a lot about what causes joy, or what, how you can have practices which help with happiness. So true. And it's quite a recent field of mm-hmm. research compared to, mm-hmm. to more negative psychology. Yeah. And I really felt like this is part of the blog, is to say, okay, if you're dealing with something like depression, are there ways that you can, without medication, if you choose not to take that, mm-hmm. have practices in your life which will increase these feelings of well-being or happiness? And I'm very grateful that there was an online platform to do mm-hmm. that. because. I don't think I would have had the access to information any other way.
0: Yeah. yeah, yeah you know, yeah. apart
1: from having to sign up and go to a certain college or school.
0: I'm so glad you're saying these things cuz I I I I I I often growing up, I really 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 found a comfortable space in books mm. and when the, as the internet grew, I found that that was the, not instead of in addition to that, that also had some very comfy, comfy, interesting spaces with interesting people. Mm. And so, when people say the internet is bad, technology is bad, mobile phones are ruining our fill-in-the-blank, mm. our attention spans, our social circles, our I'm like, well, no, it's it's how you use the tool. Yes. Yeah. So it's that thing of how do you find those spaces that nurture you, not torture you?
1: Yeah. And I am struggling with that <laughs> when, especially with my partner because you know when we were both at work I'm on mat leave now but we would come in tired mm-hmm. we would put our son to bed and we would both be on devices on different couches mm-hmm. and you know now I'm off mat leave and also we both highlighted that to each other that actually mm-hmm. we, we stopped communicating
2: mm-hmm.
1: we're just in our own worlds. we're not even watching a film together and when you have a phone in your pocket and you have all your notifications on it and an email comes through your attention is distracted Mm. and i think that is very difficult for a person who really wants you to sit and listen to them Mm -hmm. and it does affect that closeness that you have with somebody but i think it's like you say it's about balance and how you Mm -hmm. use them it's fine to have that time but if it's interrupting a conversation every three minutes because You get some notification you can't have any you know meaningful conversation with the person across from you yeah. they always feel like second best yeah and you know some of the studies if you have a phone on a table the person across from you automatically feels like you know you're not as yeah. engaged in that conversation um, it frustrates me, though, because I, I take
0: notes on my phone now, too. Yes,
1: and my husband does that, but I so, just, I yeah. go crazy. It's so hard,
0: because I'm like, I want to give some full attention. I will turn my phone off, I'll turn the silencer on, I'll put it in my bag, but sometimes somebody will say something, and I'll be like, wait, I need to make a note of that, I want to look at that some more later, I want to read that book, I want to look at that film, that kind of thing, and I, or I want to contact that person that you're reminding me of right now, and it won't stay in there, because things don't stay in my brain
1: anymore. They stay in my external brain, my phone. And he says (laughs) the exact same thing. But for me, I don't find the taking notes a problem. Mm. You know, if somebody was to write that down on a pad of paper, I would be like, great, they're listening to me. It's the fact that probably when you look at your phone, you might have six notifications, like Instagram, uh, Facebook, Outlook, and before you've even got to open your notes Mm. page, your mind's already thought, okay, I've got these six notifications, I need to... Find out what they this are. This
0: is the one area where I think the VPN comes into play mm. and helps me because my I, my main email is Gmail and it doesn't do anything when my VPN's off. So I I now keep my VPN off and even my WeChat. If I'm not in it and like I close everything down, but the phone's on silent, but it's still there, it won't tell me there are notifications until I sign in. So I'll, like, go in there, I can send myself an email, I won't see it because it won't come through, because will be like, I'm done, or I'll make a note somewhere in some file or something, but I don't see the notifications yet. And I'm like, okay, that's one good thing about VPNs, <laughs> is that I have to have that to access all of my, all of my VPN things.
1: And I think that's a but great yeah. tip. You know, like I say, I'm um, inspired by mm-hmm. this Dr. Chastity, and now I am reading his physical book, which mm-hmm. I enjoy because it is... A physical experience of reading mm-hmm. a book that I've not had for a while mm-hmm. and he just says you know turn off all your notifications yeah. you know and I think if you do that that's fine you know we can use technologies in in different ways um, but for me often I feel like okay I can um be talking to my partner and they'll be like, I'll go and research this. Yeah. You know, one of the things is like, for example, this morning we were talking about the star sign of my unborn daughter because I really want her to be born soon. Yeah. And I was like, but what if she's this star sign? And he was like, I'm just going to go and research it. And I thought, well, what did we do before that? Before we had everything at our fingertips, yeah. we would have had to go and look at a book and have that physical experience yeah. with a book or yeah. with an environment. And that's changed for us all now. Are you enjoying this conversation about our virtualness
0: and our geographicness colliding? Me too. Hey, I would love to interview you. Do you live in a country that is not your home country? Let's talk about your experience. Let's do it. Contact me at Steph Fuccio, S T E P H F U C C I O, at gmail.com. Or you can hit me up on any of my social media platforms. I am Steph Fuccio. On Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr. So contact me. Let's line this up. I would love to get your opinion into these questions out into the world. Let's do it. But if you did get, like, if the books were in the room that
1: you were having the conversation, you went to go look at the book, is mm. that any less distracting than looking on the internet? Potentially not. No. But would it be a shared experience? Would you look at that book together or? You know, and I think that's the yeah, that's tricky the, Nobody really knows yeah. how technology will influence our yeah. uh, behavior in the future. Yeah. I'm very pro mm-hmm. technology, like AI, AR, but I do think it's really important to keep those social connections. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and maybe it's just at a dinner table when you're having a dinner, you know, there's a phone box mm-hmm. and those phones go away mm-hmm. and you can have an hour of meaningful conversation. Yeah. Because it's rare sometimes that you, you get to speak to somebody unless they have their phone. I've not been to like a dinner party or out for dinner where somebody hasn't been on their phone. <laughs> like with a table of eight, yeah. somebody is, you know, checking and I think we, uh, we've lost that a
0: little. I, I agree, but the other thing is it's,
1: there's so many things happening all the time. Yeah. But, but that's I, the yeah. big stressor for us as humans, yeah. you know? Yeah. Where's our time where we just don't have anything happening? And what would yeah. you do if things weren't happening? Yeah. Would you pursue your passions? Would you have time to do things that you really wanted to do? Or I feel would my you jump online? So... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not the person to answer that question. <laughs> but potentially would you think about the things that were mm. online? Or would you are you reacting to what's important? Or are you thinking about the things that you want to put online? And I think that for me is the the challenge with technology, often when we get a notification, it's not really so important, mm. but it's there and it's weighing on us and we'll reply to it, and we'll answer mm. them. And then the things that are really important, often don't get the time that they need because they might be bigger things that we have to deal with. So I wonder, mm. that's, is technology a distraction sometimes? And I. I'm devil's advocate Uh, on this. Yeah. You know, I don't know what is the right answer. I don't think there is a right answer. Oh, I don't, and I don't think it's
0: the same for everybody. No. I definitely don't. People that grew up, like, I got my first cell phone in my, what, 20s? 20s, early 30s? I think mid-20s. I had a beeper. I did that route,
1: because I am that old um <laughs> i used to date somebody with a beeper so you know that was uh yeah. no it was a pager and then you could only yeah. page a certain amount of um oh no way yeah. So i couldn't even do that uh-huh <laughs> i think i
0: had that
1: then i had the
0: yeah yeah, yeah. so i went through the, the whole progression but it was quite a while before i had my first Mobile phone, and then it was only what 2012 when I got my first smartphone. Mm-hmm. So having the internet in my pocket is a very new experience for me, versus kids who grew up now and they're like you know seven, eight, nine, ten years old and they always have everything right there. Yeah. We're gonna have very different relationships with
1: what we do online. Yeah, and what our comfy spaces are. <laughs> Definitely. Like oh, yeah. my son is two. Yeah, and he knows that. Peppa Pig lives in the iPad, and his first words when he wakes up are not, good morning mummy, it's Peppa Pig, and I've had to fool him that Peppa Pig is still sleeping in the iPad, but he's like, no, Peppa Pig is awake, iPad, iPad, and I'm like, okay, how do I to manage this? So I definitely feel, not that I'm a dinosaur, but I have entered technology. At a point in my life where maybe I have certain questions around it but I think actually my uh, children will just think this is a normal part of life yeah, yeah. but I hope they have a balance that they um, appreciate how important it is to connect with people physically and face-to-face yeah. because Unless we are authentic online, they may only experience a certain side to a human. And I think that, for me, is the danger. Mm -hmm. If everybody online is perfect Mm -hmm. and great, Mm -hmm. if they don't feel like that, I want to make sure that they can have a conversation with somebody, especially of a different culture, and say, okay, how do we connect in a certain way? Yeah, that authenticity. Yeah. How do we get, you've got me thinking about
0: that. How do we get that
1: more well-rounded version of ourselves visible online? Do we need to have that visible online? And I think it's very much about being vulnerable, which is a very hard mm. thing to do on or offline. Yeah. You have to say that potentially things aren't perfect all the time. Yeah, And maybe it's not even saying that. A lot of the articles are just around people's opinion about... Um, one lady wrote about how important it was to have financial freedom. Yeah. sometimes it's just about giving advice, but it's I do think it is important that we aren't all face tuned and looking great mm-hmm. all the time, that we do have some a touch of reality, and I don't think this is new to online at all mm-hmm. because I've seen it. Ever since uh, I can remember, in fashion magazines, mm-hmm. they've always been photoshopped. Yeah, and that's what sells. And I think online is just another media to do that. Yeah. So I definitely don't blame online, but to be very realistic, yeah. and it not be a trend because I think that's happening at the moment where a lot of models are looking more unusual, but it's mm-hmm. a trend.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're still glamorized yeah. in a way that is just not obtainable. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. For 99% of us, if not more. <laughs> yeah, and yeah.
1: you know, in the UK we had things like Big Brother or um, these types of uh, media projects. That was a TV They're program. they still going. Oh yeah. Oh um, <laughs> <laughs> but that you could become rich yeah. very quickly yeah. by not doing very much. Yeah. And I think there was a whole culture created around this and then people mm-hmm. kind of thought, oh, well, why do I need to work hard? Mm-hmm. Why do I need to go to uni if I can earn a quarter of a million by going on a TV show? Or can I become an influencer? Yeah. If I'm a blogger, can I make money from this blog? Yeah. Um, and then I think, you know, write if you can, but there's hundreds of people who can't, and we kind of glamorize mm-hmm. the people who do. Yeah. And maybe we should be glamorizing the people who are plumbers, who are construction workers, who... On nurses and doctors and yeah. those types of things.
0: Yeah, 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 but we never really have. So that there's, there's no poster poster child that. No, you know? there really isn't, and you there know? really should be, because man, oh, man, yeah. I, we would we would be seriously. I have so many things I'm trying not to say. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there are like so
1: many uncomfortable situations that we would be in without those folks. <laughs> yeah. You know, like doctors, teachers. Yeah. You know, all these people—they are the bread and butter of what keeps mm-hmm. our societies going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the glamour and the attention is put onto the most beautiful mm-hmm. or the mo- people with the most followers. And that is where my struggle with technology a little yeah. comes with. With that attention to them and superficiality, why would people use the internet to look for something so authentic to help them through a tough time? That is a very good question because I think we're drawn to the to the beauty, um, but I think it's only when you're at a, a state where you're ready to look for help mm. and you realize that that actually could be part of the issue. Mm. I don't think people are gonna search for a blog that isn't beautiful and is not nice to read you know I try to make the aesthetic of my blog very appealing right, right, right. that people would want to visit it as a destination um, but I think it takes a certain amount of uh, walking through a journey to actually understand I'm not really happy with how I'm feeling mm-hmm. whether it could be appearance or anything and that could be because of all the social media that I'm seeing mm-hmm. is there an alternative And what I'm trying to do with this project is just to provide an alternative. It's not to say it's right or it's better. It's just to say that, you know, if you don't want to see the most beautiful version of Kim Kardashian, then you can come and just read a story about what it's like to, you know, to do something else. You know, it's just providing a different uh, sharing of ideas, which I don't think exists Mm -hmm. enough. Mm -hmm. You know, it's... I feel like there's 80% of the internet which is so beautiful and so great and we get comparison Mm -hmm. fatigue sometimes. We always compare ourselves to these perfect lives and yes there's a 20% of people being authentic and realistic but it's a quieter 20% Mm -hmm. and sometimes you just need to create that so people have it. Yeah. Yeah. It's not to force it down their necks, it's just like it's there if you want to see it. Sometimes I have a struggle
0: with humanity. Because <laughs> I think of when I was growing up and just absorbing books left, right, and center, if I knew then that the internet was going to exist, I would have been like, oh, I can't wait, I can't wait, I can't wait, and then, you know, fast forward to now when it's ubiquitous and even in developing countries, you have people with mobile phones in their pockets because that's easier technology than laptops, and, computers. and desktops not on that, Wi-Fi is omnipresent, da 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 and what people do with the internet slightly frustrates me sometimes. Yep. I understand that there's entertainment in it, but people are curious, yep. and yet do they take that curiosity into a question online and like learn a little bit of something, or just look something up, or read a little bit of something, listen to a little bit of something about that thing that they're curious about? Because I'm convinced everybody's curious about at least one thing, yep. and yet I don't think it always transfers over into
1: using that computer in our pocket yes. to do those things. Yep. And I think that can be because you get distracted by the addiction of scrolling or, Mm. you know, what comes first. Mm. But just to go back to your question before, you know, why would people look for a more authentic Mm. image on the internet? I would say it's so rare that we actually see it. Mm -hmm. You know, when people do the, you know, here's the before and after Photoshop celebrity or here's this person without makeup. Often when the person's without makeup, it's quite negative, but also we don't see it. We don't see people not looking their best yeah. so it seems a little bit alien to us and not like it's a good thing mm-hmm. and I think just to normalize how people look mm-hmm. and what is a, a normal size for somebody you know that's very much into aesthetics and beauty but I think it's also with the emotion mm-hmm. that we just need to normalize it a little it's too skewed one way yeah And I think that's, they work, people don't look because potentially they don't realize that people don't look that way. How do people find you? I started to be very open and talk about the project I was doing. Yeah. And then friends have connected me, which is how we met. Yes. And people sharing the articles. Um, So I tried to do a short list of people who I really respected Mm. and to ask them to contribute. Mm. And most. People, In fact, everybody I've asked has said yes. Yeah. A lot of people have said, I'm not a writer. And I've just reassured them say, don't worry, I can edit it. Yeah. Or I can do it as an interview.
2: Yeah.
1: But everybody has said yes. And I think the first person probably had the idea of doing something herself. Yeah and then she had something in her back pocket that she could write about. Mm -hmm. And that's really been the catalyst to getting more people. And sometimes I read people's articles and I will ask them, can I share this on my phone? Mm -hmm. But it's definitely come from (laughs) just interactions. I haven't gone out and really sought people that I don't know, but I think that will be the future, to reach out to maybe people in the public eye or people whose stories I hear and kind of say, This really resonated with me. Would you mind sharing? Yeah, yeah. Are you tempted at all to have a Facebook page to go with the website? I do have a Facebook page Mm -hmm. and I have an Instagram page. I post more on Instagram. And what I post about Instagram is more positive images of older people or abilities to challenge that status quo to kind of say, okay, this is what 50 looks like. This is what 90 looks like. And that's where my comments before um, is is really focused on, you know, to say actually this could be what you look like at 90, somebody fabulous, or you could look like, you know, this other person. So I do a lot of that on Instagram. I could just send those images over to Facebook. Mm. I do sometimes, I don't. Other times, I think that might change if I moved away just because the ease of being able to get that here.
0: They do have um, a function within Instagram Mm. where you can just kind of click. Yep. I don't use Facebook but there's like a Facebook, Twitter and Tumblr thing. So you just, as you're posting it you you write the thing and you you can like click, click, click all things or whichever ones you want.
1: And I think the reason I didn't do that at the beginning is because I was so focused on Mm -hmm. What is the purpose of the content I'm putting out? Mm -hmm. Am I repeating this content by posting it on Facebook and Mm -hmm. Instagram? Yeah. What's the benefit of generating it again? And maybe that's for a reach for an audience, Mm -hmm. but I've never really thought about the audience of this blog. I've just thought that by putting this out there, would I help somebody? But isn't that the audience? Potentially, but there's no, you know, people are kind of like, oh, well, is it a woman in her, like, who's 35, is it a woman who's struggling with aging? It's really for anybody, so there's an audience there, but there's no demographic, so, you know, the reader at the moment, I think, would be mainly female, and I actually think that's something I want to push, not against, but I want a male reader to come here as, to the to the blog as well. Yeah. So when I'm putting content out there, especially on Facebook and Instagram, I'm maybe not thinking is this image going to resonate with my audience? Mm-hmm. I'm kind of like, does this image resonate to me? And I think that's been the biggest difference with this project, it's a passion project. Mm-hmm. Where I'm thinking, do I think, oh, you know, this is a really great thing to share. Yeah. So yes, I think I will probably start to share it on Facebook, but I would like what I'm putting out there to have a point of view. Mm-hmm in terms of, you know, I want to spread this out to yeah. people because they should be seeing these images, or I should put something different on Facebook than I do to Instagram. Yeah. Yeah, good point. You know, why duplicate the content, should it be something different, or do you miss the people who only look at a Facebook page versus an Instagram page? Right. Because often you can, if you look at both Facebook and Instagram, just seeing the same pictures. People tend to gravitate towards one more than the others.
0: Like I swore on Facebook a long, long time ago, it got weirdly creepy. A lot of people I hadn't seen for years would friend me and then suddenly I would know what they're having for lunch every day. And I was like, this is a weird kind of intimacy that I just whoa, we skipped like five hundred steps. And it just felt odd. And suddenly they were like asking me all these questions about that. I'm like, I haven't talked to you for twenty years. Yeah. And people that I just met in person would would have this a similar experience. Like in of slowly getting to know them in person I suddenly we knew everything about each other and I was, yeah. it, it felt weird so I
1: got off Facebook a long 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 time ago and I think it's also when you're putting things out there mm. to realize that anybody <coughs> can read them and anybody mm-hmm. can do anything with that content mm-hmm. so for example my husband won't let me put any pictures of our kids on there. Yeah. And I agree with that and I don't mm-hmm. really or very rarely do we actually put anything personal image wise on there on our own personal account. Mm-hmm. So when I'm thinking about the blog I also think about you know is there, is, is there a greater good to doing this mm-hmm. or is it just generating content to get more people to like a page? Well to like or to know that it's there. Yeah, but yeah. are they going to do something with it in terms of, they can like it or they can, you know, visit it, but yeah. are they going to read the article and is it going to make a difference to them? And that for me is the purpose of, it doesn't matter whether I get a thousand likes, yes. even though internally I'm like, I wish people would like this <laughs> it more. It's actually, are they going to read it yeah. and is it going to make a difference? Yeah, yeah. because. The rest of it is just noise. Yes. Unless it really somebody can say, actually, I read this. Mm-hmm. It made me feel better. I yeah. shared it with a friend and it helped. Yeah. 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 yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. No, it's tricky. It's tricky because I have seen people do the same thing on all platforms to to spread out, to spread the word of what they're doing. And in some sense, I get that because I do think people gravitate. But in the other sense, I'm like, it is the same exact thing every day.
1: But then -hmm. And if I thought of it as a business, I would take it as a different approach. Yeah. I would probably share lots of I'd share more content more times a day on every platform I could. Yeah. But for me it's more that the quality of the Mm -hmm. content is there. So when I look at how often you should post, like Instagram you should post thirty five times a day to Mm -hmm. be an influencer. Thirty five? That's what generally I've heard that somebody somebody would do that Um, because
0: (laughs) when I do three or four I'm thinking okay this is a little too much for
1: I follow this great uh, person called Ava Chen who works at Instagram and she gives a lot of um, (laughs) tips and things but for me it's very much about is the content there for me to put out and that might only happen once a week in terms of an article so I'll put that article out once a week but then every two to three days I might find a great image of an older person or something to do with ability that I want to share. And kind of say like Madonna was 60 the other day, you know. Let's like kind of oh my God. review how
0: That's you feel about it.
1: So, like, you know, Madonna was 60, Adele shared a post on a postnatal psychosis. Mm. You know, there'll be somebody who is 90 and mm-hmm. still modeling, you know, these types of images, yeah. as and when I see them, great, but. Just generating content for content's sake just seems like a never-ending machine. Yeah. I don't think I've ever done that. If
0: anything, because living in China is, like, cheating. Like, I'm doing some stuff with, like, language, so I'm taking pictures of stuff. Like, I'm seeing signs and and, and things and, and... and when, sometimes just pictures of itself, mm. and it's like I walk out the door and three blocks later I've got ten photos and I'm like okay I'm not going to post all of these today like I have to kind of hold back because there's so much content all the
1: time here yeah. and I would also say as living here yeah, it is like content creation paradise mm-hmm. and if you wanted to like just 20 minutes walking down a road and you oh. could have an Instagram account with you know probably 20,000 followers because of the mm-hmm. the amazing place mm-hmm. that the city is and mm-hmm. how challenging in some ways you, things are when you see them. Yeah. You know, I, always my first image of being here was I'd walk down Nanjing Shilu, which is like a very expensive shopping street, I'd pass Gucci and there'd be a woman in her pajamas taking her poodle for a walk. The poodle will have like green ears and an orange tail and that's normal, Yes, yes. you know. We walk past that and we're like, oh yeah, she's out again. Somebody else would see that and be like, oh my goodness, like that's so yeah. unusual. Um, but then on my personal account, I'm very aware not to post too much of that because it can come across like, look at my fabulous life, you know. Um, so it's interesting because also I think it will, if I ever did go back to the UK, all of the images that you see here, mm. I kind of want to try and capture them in a way that I can keep with me, especially for my son who was born here, to mm-hmm. kind of say, this was where you grew up, yes. you know, in your very yeah. early years.
2: Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. So is there anything that has surprised you about working on Life and Brand?
1: What surprised me is that the amount of people that want to share their story. Mm. So when I've asked people to contribute everybody's kind of said yeah Mm -hmm. and I'm really glad you asked me because I've been wanting to do something like this for a while yeah so yeah I found that a really great thing is that it feels like it's helping people to achieve something on their journey and the positive reaction to it Mm -hmm. so putting things out there and actually people saying you know this did really help Mm -hmm. Um, one of the reactions I had to the Article on postnatal depression. Somebody shared it with a family member, and they said it's the first time she's ever spoken about this. I she said I never knew, and she opened up and she just cried and said, you know, she was very open with her experiences. Yes. And I had a lot of old friends who also said, you know, I read this and I cried, and mm. I felt like, you know. I really thank you for sharing your experience Mm -hmm. so the fact that we are on some base level we're all very similar Mm -hmm. Um, whatever the topic is you know because we I've had some great comments also about the financial pieces that we've done and the fact that people do want to connect people have all kind of said it's really good that there is this platform here Mm -hmm. so I think that surprised me (laughs) Um, and the need for it you know like when you put something out in the world and you're like how will people respond and will people be kind (laughs) yeah the fact that people have been like yeah this is something that I want to keep an eye on and see what happens to it and that I want to be part of it a lot of people have said and probably my most impactful experience in in the past week is that somebody shared it on a WeChat group and then somebody from the group PM'd me and said can we go out you know can I meet you and I was like yeah great thinking she'd want to be a contributor Mm -hmm. and then she actually shared with me that she had a very severe eating disorder and she didn't know what to do Mm -hmm. and I was like I am totally unprepared to give you advice on this but I'm gonna try my very best and it was the fact that she felt she had somebody to reach out with yeah. that was so important and I managed to connect her with somebody I knew and I don't know if there there's no quick solution to anything like that but right. the fact that somebody had read something and said okay I can approach somebody else because also she talked about the fact that she her friend network here she didn't feel she could talk to, yeah. um, and I think that was a very powerful thing because then you mm-hmm. actually think okay, if I can help one person,
2: yeah. if
1: that other person can help one or two people, mm-hmm. that's how you start a change. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the things that we struggle with at the moment are really big issues. And actually if it takes one or two people mm-hmm. and just kind of being kind, being authentic, then I think that's really it's worth the fact that she can not only admit it to herself,
0: but then reach out and show up in person
1: yep. and
0: say that out loud, that's
1: really powerful, And really. It takes such bravery yeah. and courage and I was so thankful to her that she felt she was able to do this and really, you know, just felt like, okay, there's somebody here who's vulnerable enough to ask for help, mm-hmm. I need to help that person. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So and I just thought that's one blog which, you know, when I was going through that was very detrimental feelings at the time and hard for the family and stuff like that, but out of it came good. Mm-hmm. And I think if we can take those experiences that we have, whether they're global experiences or or not, yeah. then we can do good things. That is so powerful. Part of me wants to ask if you're leaving fashion to do something similar
0: uh, to this or coaching or something in that arena. I
1: think probably that's my future yeah. because I also got to a point with the industry especially in the company that I worked with which was one of the biggest retailers that I was kind of like what's the benefit to this mm. you know I got into fashion because it was a craft and you know back in the day 20 years ago when I started it it was something to aspire to oh, yeah. you know you could fast fashion wasn't everywhere you know, and Mm -hmm. to be able to wear something that you really wanted was a very new thing. Now it's everywhere and we sell t-shirts for like 39 quai and when I look what that does to the environment I feel immensely guilty and responsible Mm -hmm. and I think with any industry you have to do it in a sustainable way and I'm really thankful my organisation does as much as it can but we're still generating product for product's sake. Mm And I think that's why I got into the minimalist, which kind of started me off into the, mm-hmm. doing my own blog, is that yeah. do we need all this stuff? Are we compensating for something else? Right. Right. If we're buying it because we're feeling a bit down, let's look at why we're feeling down. Yeah. And then if we can feel less down by connecting online, great. But don't buy the t-shirt for 39 quid. that's probably damaging ocean you know Um, so yes I think I would either get into sustainability Mm -hmm. in my industry Mm -hmm. or I would change to do something more around this I think there's a lot to be done about health in the workplace and sustainability especially in fashion Mm -hmm. you know there's some really great champions out there but there's still a need for us to consume more. and I think there's nothing essentially wrong with that because I'm at an age where I've probably consumed more than my fair share and ever was 25 I want to be able to buy that great t shirt or whatever. But can we do it in a more sustainable way? Yeah. Because if it's going into landfill and it can't biodegrade or it's being shipped off to Africa uh, and damaging their economies. That's not a good long-term solution. Right, right, right. I was big. I turned into a really big fan of, thrift stores
0: and mm-hmm. stores, that kind of thing. And a friend of mine who now lives, used to live in Beijing, she lives in Hong Kong now, she was telling me about this American company who was selling used um, clothing online. Yep, but now they've stopped selling, they've now stopped uh, shipping to China. And I'm like, I was just going to start doing, <laughs> you know, because I can't find thrift stores in, uh, in Shanghai. It's still a fairly new thing in Asia. In general, in Japan, I found some when I was living there, but it was very, like, very, like, 1950, like going back a long time, almost like the vintage kind of, like, that kind of cool, kind of very, very older stuff. And I was like, no, no, I don't want that. I don't want to make a statement. I just want to have clothing that we don't have to throw away. Yes. That kind of thing. Do you see
1: that happening in China at all? I think now I'm. My. Uh, knowledge might be wrong but my understanding is that they have stopped importing second-hand clothes Mm. and for example somewhere like Africa Mm. is they've had second-hand clothes but you get so many it's actually quite a big problem Mm. it's nice when you can go to a thrift store or a vintage store and it's all edited and it's good quality but I'm not sure of the legislation if that opens it up to just or even it. the stuff
0: that's within where people yes. can go drop it off and then it could be sold or even if it's like a charity shop or not or a business or what have you just that
1: so there's some place yes for that to go and there's a lot of organizations doing that so you can put your clothes into the recycle bins there's retailers like H&M uh, there's also a lot of restaurants who will have like clothing bins And a lot of them will decide, can it be worn again? If it can, they tend not to destroy it, and they will send it on to be sold as secondhand. Can it be broken down and made into Mm -hmm. a new uh, fabric, and then it can be remade? So for example, some companies, their denim is actually just a closed loop. So there's a lot of um, focus now in the circular economy, that we use something, but then we can recycle and close the loop. Mm. So it's happening more and more uh, and I would say there are places here to do that but the infrastructure of probably a lot of the western um, countries where you have like charity shops or vintage stores mm, doesn't exist so much here. I think that's also a part of the progression of the country. Sure. People don't think it's cool necessarily to buy second hand clothes you know around the hygiene and things like that. So I do think there's a long way that the industry's come, mm-hmm. but there's still a lot of production of unnecessary things.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. And I think that's where my uh, struggle with it is. You know, If I could see the rise of vintage stores globally going up and people really buying a lot of things, then great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I think the problem is that yeah. people are actually aren't buying as much.
0: Yeah.
1: You know, we're not well, spending the a- Yeah,
0: But when you do need
1: new stuff, It'd be nice if there were other options. Other than... Maybe. Exactly. Yeah. And I think the solution for a lot of companies is that it just we just need to be quicker in getting that product, and we just need to sell it cheaper. And therefore, mm-hmm. people will buy more stuff. Mm-hmm. Right. And for me, yes, that's the solution, but also, should we just buy one thing... really good thing that lasts for a little while yeah but sadly I don't think that's the way that the industry is necessarily going no no I just watched I don't I'm not
0: terribly into fashion but I somehow stumbled across um, these I do watch a lot of stuff on YouTube and I found this comparison between this uh, Swedish woman and this French woman they were comparing fashions between the two countries Mm -hmm. and then I followed the French woman over to her channel and she had um, a whole video devoted to, like, how to get out of the cycle of fast fashion and how to tell if a piece of clothing would last, mm-hmm. and then the things to look for in the clothing before you buy it, to know that it, you will be able to keep it for a well, while that kind of thing. And she went into, like, great detail. And it was very cool to see that exist in the so I was like, yay, not to, I mean, I do, because of where I am and because of my lack of knowledge on things or lack of access to certain things, I do buy fast fashion, this is um, but um, but I also keep it a lot longer than I think most people do. <laughs> I keep it till it falls apart, not just until it's the end of the season. Yep. Um,
1: and I think that's but... a good thing, you know. For me, I have no <laughs> problem about fast fashion. It's mm-hmm. when we buy things, mm-hmm. we maybe wear them once, and then we throw them away, and that happens How so. How do people
0: afford to do that? alone... Because...
1: Things yeah. are so cheap now. Oh my god. You know, it's cost the same as the price of coffees to buy a t shirt. Oh. And when you look at the statistics of actually how much of your wardrobe you wear once mm. to three times compared to the nineteen fifties, I mean it's it's extraordinary because we just three we just Yeah sometimes it's it's zero times, so we just consume. Yeah. And then you know, we don't buy things to last and I think this is also where social media comes in because mm. there's always a strive for newness. Mm you know as humans we want something new mm-hmm. so when we look at all these great posts and they're like oh they're in the latest such-and-such such dress we want that and we mm-hmm. can achieve it because the price isn't high anymore mm-hmm. so the thing that we bought two weeks ago now seems old and redundant so to many customers this is the case yeah you know and I think that's where it's part of a big cycle because the more that you generate newness The more that you have to deliver it in a quick way at a price people can afford. But it's what you do with everything else that was there before. How do you close the loop on that? Mm -hmm. And it is happening, but it's just... It's a difficult process to do, you know. It's to break down some of these these fibres and turn it into something else. So before you mentioned the newness and the superficiality of the online...
0: The potential uh, online, mm. and there being just a huge amount of that. Yes, and and we're talking about the consumer culture and stuff. Do you think there's? It feels like there's a connection. <laughs> <laughs> Clearly, we're in a coffee shop. <laughs> it, do you think there's a connection with our, our personalities
1: and in general wanting new and just just abundance of things, whether yes. it be online or offline? Yeah, and I think that's how we're designed as humans. Mm. You know, there's a lot of research studies that you mm-hmm. can go to. We crave uh, newness, yeah. you know, we get a kick out of it. Yeah. So, whether that be a fashion, whether it be a newness of an Instagram notification, that's how we're designed. And I think we often build on that in our society, so it's mm-hmm. just something that, but it's how big companies mm-hmm. fulfill that you know, ultimately a company is there to make a profit. Mm -hmm. So they have to keep delivering newness. And and when we think about the resources that we take to do a lot of the fashion items, great that some are renewable, but not all are. And when you go back to, you know, if you look at cotton, for example, Mm -hmm. the cotton farmer really needs to get the best yield on their cotton, so the seed supplier can sell them certain seeds to increase their yield but there's you know there can be issues around this if you start to, to dig into it so it goes back right to the very beginning about the agriculture that's being used and it, the industry is one of the most labor-intensive and most consuming of uh, resources in the world and yes we need clothes and um, you know we have a crave but a crave for newness but is it a positive thing mm-hmm. in the way that it's going
0: are you enjoying this conversation about our virtualness and our geographicness colliding me too hey i would love to interview you do you live in a country that is not your home country let's talk about your experience let's do it contact me at steph fuccio s-t-e-p-h f-u-c-c-i-o at gmail.com or you can hit me up on any of my social media platforms. I am Steph Fuccio on Twitter, Instagram, Tumblr. So contact me. Let's line this up. I would love to get your opinion into these questions out into the world. Let's do it.
1: Reaching it over into the, the online space. And I would say online, probably one yeah. of the reasons why it's Become this way is because it's so accessible now ten years ago. We didn't necessarily have online Retailers. Oh, not just online shopping just
0: content online Mm. things online videos online pictures online just that that craving for more and more new 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 always new Is there a way to to satiate or to slow ourselves down online? Do we need
1: to (laughs) I think that's a great question. I think um if I was to redesign it, I would say our crave for newness comes, could come from a lack of personal connection. Mm. It's very instantly gratifying to look through an Instagram feed and to get a snapshot of
2: mm.
1: how a friend's life is, mm-hmm. versus having to pick up a phone and have a conversation and invest your time. I think it's part of our modern society that we always feel we have to be doing things. Mm-hmm. so We're always active in doing, we're never very still. Like we probably were centuries ago, Mm -hmm. we're always like, oh, we're going to go to the gym or we're going to do this. We never have time where we just tend to sit unless it's even in front of a TV or listening to something. I think it really takes us to understand what it's doing to our health and relationships. I don't think it will change until something serious forces us to change. There's a comparison I have made and that is um, China is a growing
0: economy and... The comparison of certain Western countries and when we went through our initial industrial growth and that, that comparison has, has been clear. The internet growth and abundance and just almost glut of stuff that's available online. I hadn't actually brought that into the fold of the comparison and will we reach a point where we want more depth than just the
1: amount. To do. I, don't know. I think the interesting thing will be how it goes with things like AI mm-hmm. so if AI artificial intelligence can start to do mm-hmm. things for us yeah then we will have more time, and it will be interesting to see what we will do with that extra time. Well, it it, it
0: already has on some level, and some of us already do, some of that is not messed up. But the problem is time unemployed and with no money and desperate and in our survival state, or time where we can peacefully think of things,
1: other things. Do you know what I mean? Yes, but I would also would say, I think there's a certain level that they have benchmarks i think it's about 70,000 US dollars a year if you earn more than this it doesn't increase your happiness right yeah so yes i think if you're very privileged potentially you have the lack of stress of not having to worry about where your next money comes from yeah but is that offering you a deep sense of stillness and satisfaction and um resonating on an emotional level does that have to equate to money you know and I would also say that's something where I'm trying to explore with my blog Mm. you know if I do change career and go for something where I get paycheck to not having any money or any income yeah is that going to change my state of happiness
2: Mm.
1: is it going to be higher or lower will Mm. I be worried about certain things so I think that's also quite interesting and I think it's very much about learning how to be still and content within yourself Mm -hmm. regardless of your situation Mm
2: -hmm.
1: you know a lot of things that happen to us could be good or bad but Mm -hmm. again it's about the mindset yeah and can we cultivate a mindset yeah and i think that's independent of finance but i think social media can give us a mindset of scarcity like we don't have what they have Mm -hmm. i don't know if it gives us abundance because we need to buy the things that are online right. mm-hmm. maybe we have an abundance of content but is that adding a value to us or is it just kind of killing time mm-hmm. because we don't have anything else to do, we can't sit in a coffee shop by ourselves and just not do anything we want the companionship of a phone or an Instagram scroll Yeah.
0: and it's interesting
1: to you know, think if we could compare this with an experience of somebody who's in their 90s what advice would they give? You know, would they say, oh, I wish I'd had the internet earlier so I can spend my time on there? Or would it be more giving advice to spend the time to connect to people?
0: Or somewhere in between.
1: Yeah. Because
0: I'm somewhat convinced that it is somewhere in, in between. I don't think that it's purely a bad thing, and I don't think that it's purely a good thing, and we should just dive in and kind of get lost in that 100% online. world. Right? Mm. There is a lot in in person connections that you can't yeah. get. And um, I would
1: say it's because the online world is so addictive.
0: There's know, there from, so much
1: information. Yeah, there's so much information. There's all you know, when you have this endless scrolling, there's always another post to see. It's very rewarding yeah. to see these things for your brain, you know. But how do you edit yourself when to stop? I have no
0: idea. Like I said, before the internet, I would go to the library and basically take away anything I could carry. Yeah. So I had no control then, I have no control now. But the the difference (laughs) would be that the library would have a closing Uh, time. And And they would have
1: a limit on how many of each medium I could take out. Whereas we don't have that for the internet, especially when it's in your pocket all the time. Well there is... Yeah, no,
2: that's, If you put your
1: own lock on yeah, it, yeah. fine, but it's sets something that you have to do yourself. Yeah. Whereas I feel like, you know, if you had a conversation with a friend, yeah. there would be the time of the last bus or, you know, yeah. the evening would yeah. would end or something. There would be something that, you know, stopped a conversation. No, I know what
0: you mean. I think for me because
1: I have things on and offline,
0: that it's how much time do I have, what do I want to do, and then I hop online. Mm. I think because it's so easy to get caught in the whirlwind of all of it. I think I have to think about it. I used to do little post-its. I, I use my phone more than my laptop, but I used to have little post-its right next to my laptop. And I used to have to. I used to make myself write a list of the three things I wanted to do when I turned that computer on. Because if yep. I didn't do that, it'd be like hours later and I'd be like, What? We're, we're, I haven't gotten any of these done. What have I yep. done? <laughs> but that's coming
1: to the internet as an adult. But I would I also it. Yeah. ask, if you were sat in a coffee shop on your own, mm. would you spend the time having the coffee just sat by yourself or would you get out your device? It depends on what I wanted to do.
0: I have done both. I also have a lot of studying, I'm studying Chinese so I also have a lot of paper material for that and mm. sometimes I'll break that out. pre internet I used to sit in coffee shops. With a pack, like a notebook, mm-hmm. and just as I was thinking about stuff for so I would write that down. Yep. So I'm, I've always been in a cycle. I feel like the cycle of information and the cycle of input has always been the same for me. It's just mm-hmm. There's more of it online yep. to
1: overwhelm me and what I want to see and do and learn. And are you focused when you get online to go to the destination that you wanted to in the first place, but you know, if you're like, if you say, right, I'm gonna, I've got five minutes, I'm gonna do some language learning, or do you get into the, like, rabbit hole of, oh, but there's something on social media, I'll just spend five minutes doing that, and then actually that takes up your time and you don't get to the initial task? I do the initial task first now. Because I've been burnt.
0: not done those so many times before, <laughs> which is again sort of the the, the blessing of the VPN, because the fun stuff is generally over there yeah. behind the wall. <laughs> uh, WeChat is mostly the in-person groups and uh, like the one-on-one meetups and things like that, and and uh, colleagues and work stuff and stuff like that. So it that's less distracting because it's conversations that are going back and forth content, yeah. kind of thing. So I need to reply to. Those, but it's not a stream of stuff, generally speaking. But the Twitter and the Instagram and the, the
1: email and all of that, that's behind the wall. But <laughs> well, do you think if you move back to your own country, yeah. you would have the um, determination to create that wall for yourself, or do you think you would end up lost in the rabbit hole? Well, it, it's never a perfect system, and I have been back, I've been in and outside
0: the wall, <laughs> literally, the internet was um, going viral. Um, and even on vacations, I, I don't have it. Like, mm. we were in Thailand last month and we just had, we got a Thai SIM card and we had access to the internet the whole time. And even still, I was like, I just wouldn't turn my phone on unless I needed to do something or wanted to do something, or yeah. I wanted the time to do something.
2: Because I knew
0: if I just, as we were sitting in a cafe, if I started, yeah. I would tune out. So yeah. I just didn't. Yeah. But it, it took getting burnt to do that. Yeah, it takes like discipline, huh? Yeah, yeah. It does. It almost feels like it almost feels like there needs to be some sort of like internet restraint training. <laughs> yeah, Exactly. <laughs> to kind of teach you that so you don't have to get burnt a few billion times before you Yeah, reach that state. And it's sort of like like I was teaching first year writing in in the U.S., which is such a weird creature, but it's just how to write academic English. Freshman year, 18 years old, and the kids that were coming to me, and this is in the early, like, 2012, 2013, the kids that were coming in, the American students, they came in. Teachers stopped teaching computer skills. They stopped, stopped teaching typing. I took typing on a typewriter when I was in high school, that's mm-hmm. how old I am. And they, they didn't teach any of that. So the students were like pecking away and doing this stuff or just doing this stuff with like two fingers. And, and they couldn't type fast. So they couldn't get their ideas to be the speed of their fingers. They didn't have like computer skills even within just Word and PowerPoint. Yeah. Like the, the teachers that they had assumed that they had computer skills because they could use a tablet, they could use a mobile phone. Well, yeah. they can scroll, so they know computer skills, so we don't need to teach those anymore. But it's like, ah, no, reclaim it, damn it, go that's back. That's very true, huh? Yeah, so I feel like we need to add that back in because yeah. they do need those skills. There's things in those menus that make life a lot easier. And then restraint class.
1: <laughs> Maybe. I
0: think I don't that's know. such a
1: good point, especially with the skills, because mm-hmm. I think. There's so many tools out there to help your online experience, Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) and the devices that we use are so intuitive now, like the iPhone, there's no instruction manual with it, you know, you just turn it on, so with the software, it's kind of the same,
2: you
1: know, and I know I miss out on so much, it's like with Instagram, I don't know half of the features because I don't really know how to find that out. Yeah. Um, so I'm not using any of the devices or the platforms to their best potential. Yeah, no, me neither. I've, I've just, I just,
0: I kept getting kicked out of I was a Twitter girl for years and years and years, uh, and I found like groups in there that I really liked, people I liked to follow and stuff like that, and so I just stayed there. And they started to lock me out. <laughs> I don't know what was happening, I might have gotten Twitter hacked a few times, but literally every month this year, I've gotten locked out of Twitter for security reasons, and they'll email me and tell me, and I'll be like, wait a minute, what? <laughs> this is not good, And because that's my, my stream of news and information and things I'm learning, and I've got my Chinese language group in there, I've got my expat groups, and I'm like, what do you mean you shut off that whole world? What's yeah. happening? And so I accidentally moved over into Instagram because I can still post on Twitter mm-hmm. without actually being on there. And then I started to see people do different things. There's videos now and there's um, live streaming and you can do multiple videos or multiple pictures in a row and all these things. and, and you can. Like pay like a few dollars to advertise so that it'll show up in people's feeds and all this stuff I'm watching and I'm going I thought it was just still a picture. Yep. (laughs) Like 2018 and I was like I thought Instagram literally was still just a picture. Next a picture. Yep. A picture and I'm like when did all of this happen?
1: So I'm just learning by watching people's things. Yep. And I am exactly the same. I still mainly use it as a picture and I'm like there's so much more I can do. Yeah, and I, I really, to be honest, I probably just need the time to, to, yeah. to learn it. But then I'm kind of like, I could put that time into it, doing some many so, other yeah.
0: things.
1: Yeah. See, I, I have, uh, I have a husband, but I don't have children,
0: so I have a lot of free time.
1: <laughs> but it's, uh, yeah. when I think about it, it's not even that I would put it into like, uh, family time. Hmm you know, is it that I would put the time into writing an article, you know, mm. almost online do you need to market yourself, mm.
2: um,
1: you know, do you need to have the, the pizzazz around what you do to be able to market it for people to visit it, you know, if your Instagram feed isn't up to date and looking no, yeah. great, are people going to visit a blog, and I think that's a, also an interesting thing of, is it the wrapping paper, mm. or is it what's inside the present? it's more like a library
0: for me because I find people that are doing similar things and I get ideas from them Mm. or yeah I get a lot of it like I interviewed this guy about language learning and he was talking about like bookstagram it's this hashtag on instagram where people post pictures of books they're reading bookstores libraries all these things and I'm like Really? And oh my god, the places they post are crazy cool. And I'll just I'll be sitting there going (laughs) <laughs> just stuff. and there's also StudyGram is another hashtag, and people will literally post pictures of what they're studying. Oh my goodness! Yeah, and I'm like, sweet. So every night when I go to do my HSK homework, I'm like, okay, I'm done with that. Oh, I can prove it, or I can track it. I can and later I can go back and see what I did just by going through my Instagram. So I just take a picture and I put it on StudyGram, and I'm like, it's
1: like a kind of a really very, very quick accountability tool know that existed. But I also like the idea that you can be accountable mm-hmm. within these online platforms. Yeah. you know.
0: Yeah. I mean, to be fair, those two are rather big. So it's yeah. not like a
1: small community where everybody knows
0: each other. But,
1: but you but feel a sense of accountability to put it on there. I do. Yeah. Which, you know, you might not have somebody around you to be able to, you know, to, to hold you accountable or that you're know, So I think that's also, yeah. so it, it's how we use these online platforms i think is very interesting because if you use them in a positive way and you know they actually fill, not a void, but they fill something that potentially you don't have yeah. access to. I think that's such a positive thing. It is. It truly, truly
0: is. And again, I found those from word of mouth, from somebody mm-hmm. who was studying the same language that I was. And he's like, well, haven't you gone on this thing? Or I went to this thing? And I was like, wait, pause. What did you just say? <laughs> like, need to go there. I didn't even know there were communities. I thought it was just individual accounts. Yeah. Again, Instagram has changed. <laughs> I'm like, what well, just happened? And I'm sure there's way even more than that because it's only been a few months. But there's just. There's just groups. Yeah. Humans are crazy. We create goodness and craziness all together. <laughs> and we're supposed to know how to sort through all of it. Exactly. And self
1: manage. Oh my God. You know, I think that's my biggest. Uh, the questions that I have about all these online platforms or tools, mm-hmm. you know, nothing is good or bad, mm-hmm. you know, it's all about how you use something, yeah. but having the education to self-manage, even knowing what the, the tools can do is one thing. But when you're addicted, you know, when you're kind of addicted to just the joy of scrolling, how do you then kind of be like, "No, I'm going to use this in a very positive way, mm-hmm. You know that whole dynamic is very interesting, mm-hmm. and because we've come into it halfway through our lives, yeah, we've had to learn how to to put on that filter. Mm-hmm. You know, we're still learning. We're kind of saying, okay, how much is too much? Yeah. What is positive scrolling versus like how could I use this to be accountable to my study group? Yeah. Whereas I wonder whether kids coming into technology now, mm-hmm. through experience at a younger age, will find these. Uh, internal tools of how to manage this, mm. and they won't have any of the dilemmas that we feel they will have, you know. Right? Oh, younger
0: expats, please contact me, I'd like to interview you on this topic. <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, I do wonder that, because I got very, very lost in books at a young age, and there were very real limitations. The books mm. end, and then you have to go get some more. Yeah. Like, there, there's only so much, or you got really, I got really tired, or my eyes were just like, oh, that's it, I'm just, I need to stop for today kind of thing because of very physical reasons. But you don't need to with the online stuff now. You really could keep going. With videos, you could literally
1: just, like, get a whole bunch of them set up and just have yeah. constant videos going all the time. But will this be a dilemma that we see? Mm. Or will it be something where somebody who's always had technology would automatically self-filter and be like, no, okay, I know when I've had enough time. Mm. Do you see what I mean? Do we see... It's always been available so it's not a new, shiny... Yeah, thing. it's, you know, something where, okay, I know after two hours I'm, I'm tired of looking at an iPad. Yeah. Whereas we think, oh, do kids have too much screen time? Do kids actually know how much screen time? Right. You know, do they get that from their own experience? Do they maybe yeah. have three hours and think, oh, my eyes felt tired and it felt like too long or not. It's, it will be interesting to see mm-hmm. how new generations cope with yeah. their access to technology. Will they self-filter and say, oh, mm-hmm. actually I felt I missed out on like football practice or something because I wanted to stay in and watch a video. That's a really good point. What are you going to teach your children on how to use this? I <laughs> try my best to have some rules, yeah. so Peppa Pig doesn't make it into the house until 5.30 on a weekday at 8 a.m. No, p.m. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, p.m., yeah. you know, uh, but at the <laughs> weekends, she does make an appearance early on. It's also difficult nowadays when you're sat in a restaurant. Mm-hmm. So, and I've seen this in many different countries, okay. there'll be parents and the kids will be on the iPad. And I, before kids, I would be like, I will never have that. Mm-hmm. And. I find we do it, you know, not regularly, but there's occasions where we do do that. Yeah. Because sometimes it's easier, mm-hmm. sometimes it's just the practice of, okay, you're going to sit well in a chair and that's what's important to us rather than having a, a meltdown and we all have to go home. I will try and teach my kids that, you know, that it's a very good place, that there's lots of great tools on that, especially, you know, I'm dyslexic, I wish I had those tools when I was younger to help me learn in a more dynamic way yes so I feel that in terms of education Mm -hmm. it's a lot more interactive but I think it has to be balanced with a physical interaction of a teacher or a parent Mm -hmm. also helping Um, but I would also try and encourage them to invest in their personal relationships and things like sport Mm -hmm. probably my biggest concern as a parent is them meeting somebody online Mm -hmm. and what you can say in a faceless way online. That's also with my blog when I was saying I'm worried because people can just say anything. Mm -hmm. If I write something, I don't personally feel you're hurt if you Mm -hmm. need it. Oh, another good podcast. I want to
0: get the name of this right. Ah! Sorry. Because he did something that I'd never even thought would, anybody would do, but it's mm. conversations with people that hate me, I think is the, here it is, yeah, conversations with people that hate me, who hate me. And what he does is he takes, he started out with taking people who wrote comments on his uh, website, and contacted them, asked them if they could talk in person and he'd record it and they'd have the conversation about the things that he said that triggered them and they'd try to not necessarily agree with each other but find some sort of understanding. Yep. And he always says the thing of just remember that there's a person on the other end of the screen. Now he's branched out and he has people who have people reacting to their online things and he'll get both of them together and he'll talk to one person separately, one person, and then he'll bring all both of them together and they'll kinda try to navigate the conversation. But it's a brilliant Brilliant, brilliant podcast because it's like oh yes thank you people think before you write some of these mean things because it's just it's easy to
1: write four or five mean words but that is a person yep yeah I will definitely check that out yeah because I think cool. when you're disagreeing about a topic mm-hmm. that's one thing mm-hmm. but when you're saying the person who wrote the topic is this or the that, yes. that is when it's very hurtful and damaging because it becomes very personal
2: mm-hmm.
1: and that's my biggest fear with unrestricted access to the internet mm-hmm. for my children, yeah. is I have no idea what communication they're getting from other people,
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and I think words are so important. And I've only realised that in my later life that a sentence to somebody at a certain time can really affect how they feel, and they can really hold that. Um, but otherwise, I think the internet is a very positive place. Mm-hmm. You know, I know my son's language skills are. Mm-hmm good Because he watches TV and yeah. many parents will hate me for that But there's <laughs> certain words where I have never taught them those words. and yeah. she hasn't taught them those words <laughs> But he can have a conversation in a coffee shop yeah. about dinosaurs because there's a dinosaur on Pepper Pig oh, <laughs> And I don't think we should see it that TV is bad or you know, I think it's a balance so independent play, I think, is really important. Mm-hmm. Uh, nursery, those types of things. But actually, if he's learning languages and if he's learning too, you know, his only um, exposure a lot of the time to Chinese language is our Chinese TV. Yeah. So potentially that's a good way. When I ask adult language learners how do you learn, they're like, I watch foreign films. Yeah. So. I think it's just about making sure that it's it yeah. doesn't become a babysitter. Yeah. You know. Yeah, and I think yeah. sometimes it can, it's natural because kids enjoy it, you know, but as long as you you know, you have a balance I think it's fine. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, I watched a real amount of TV as a child. Um and I would say the only difference between T V and technology is T V it's very you know you sit there and you look at a screen yeah with technology if he runs off with an ipad yeah. Yeah. i'm like this is not your ipad <laughs> this is mommy's ipad yeah. and mommy can take this off you and then physically trying to remove something that he feels is his um, is a very different dynamic because okay. you know to him you're taking away my friend i see you're I see, taking see. away pepper from me ah. you know and this is mine and he'll yeah. say mine you know this is this is Arthur's. Um, whereas the TV yeah. it's static in a house, and we can all sit on devices, but we'll be sat in the same room. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I think that's also an interesting dynamic. Interesting. Because I was thinking, I thought you were
0: going to say, is that the, with the iPad it can be interactive, but you went in a completely different
1: direction there. And I would say a, pro, a lot of, uh, he's very young, so a lot of the interactive games, mm. you know, will play together. Yeah. Um, and yes, I think there's a great thing about that. But it's more of the fact that I want him to know that that's not his piece of technology that right. he can access all the time and do what he wants with. Yeah. That at his age, because he is so young, you know, there's yeah. somebody who's going to give him boundaries. See, but You're yeah, that yeah. Um, but definitely, when he's like, yeah. "Where's the iPad?" or he'll pick up my phone and be like. Off this phone, and I'll be like, No, mommy's phone. <laughs> and then you have to chase him around the house, and he'll be like, You know, put the TV on. Oh. <laughs> but, well, let's let's um, bring this back to the expatness <laughs>
0: part of it. Well, you mentioned that you might go back to the UK at mm-hmm. some point.
1: Do you foresee yourself keeping uh, Life and Breaths going? Yes, I do, and I actually feel that it could become the thing that I give up a career for Mm -hmm. and I don't think it will ever be a career for me because then I think it would change the nature of it and I do ask a lot of people when you turn a hobby into a career how is that but definitely because I think what I've learned is that generally humans are the same the world over Mm -hmm. and the topics that I'm writing for will resonate wherever I am mm-hmm. and actually going to another country just opens me up to many other contributors mm-hmm. and I think there's also scope for me if I did go back to the UK to get into things like coaching because I've had some great access to coaches here mm-hmm. or to get into a wellness field mm-hmm. and I think there's more opportunity to do that here but I definitely think that the the experiences and the people that I've met to bring that mindset back mm-hmm. to potentially quite a small town, not a city, Mm -hmm. would be really beneficial. Mm -hmm. I don't know how people would react, you know, Mm -hmm. because... I was just
0: thinking, would they be open to having that?
1: To be honest, I don't know, and when I've spoken to people, they've said a lot of things in the UK, if you think about meditation or a lot of the practices uh, that i look into it mm. it's very much based around um wellness yeah is this going to have a benefit to me or my body mm. it's not very linked to spiritual mm. and i found here there's a very big spiritual community mm. so i think people want evidence in western countries that this mm. is going to work for me yeah so i think that will be a, an interesting thing if you want to do something like crystals or you know, those types of things. People might be like, This is too hippie for me. But I definitely think I will continue to write the blog because it gives me a sense of purpose. Yeah. And it fulfills something in me that I think I will still need regardless of where I am. Yeah. But I don't know in terms of readership who you know who or where it will be and possibly whether the contributors I get in my home country will be want to be as open, right? So I think it would be an interesting dynamic, yeah. It's such a tricky thing. Such a tricky thing. It's because the
0: vulnerability is powerful, but then people have to live their daily lives. Mm -hmm. And some of them it's very, very personal and you don't necessarily want people to know that.
1: Yep. Mm -hmm. But then sometimes you just don't, you can write into a suit in them. Mm You know, because many people have said, actually it's really cathartic to have written this down. Yeah, yeah. And if you don't want to share it under your own name, you don't need to, you can share it under another. But for me, I just felt like I can't ask people to be authentic unless I can be real and honest with my own experiences. And What am I protecting by not saying that it's me who's written it? Yeah. An ego or, you know, potentially my the feelings of my child. But I would hope that he would then see if he did choose to get married and have kids that actually this is something his wife or he could go through. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I hope he would also appreciate that the benefit of being that vulnerable because also in the end I say you know actually what got me through this was then to realize how awesome this human was
2: mm-hmm.
1: and to see him grow you know so. That was the only thing where I kind of thought, would I feel, would I ever regret sharing it? Mm. But I don't think I would. But I think people have different levels of being comfortable with that, you know. And it's also the topics, you know, when you start to talk about things like domestic violence or, or things that um, could be very sensitive. I think people can write under another name. It's for me, it's the question of is is the act of writing this and sharing it with others mm. going to benefit you and them? If it's detrimental to either one, then potentially it's not something to recommend. But i found that actually a lot of people have said, I'm really glad you've asked me because I've been wanting to share. Yeah,
0: yeah. yeah. It makes me slightly sad that they say, you know, I'm not a writer because it's just writing, I know we have labels for people that do professions, but writing is just something that helps us communicate. And it's it's a refining thing. You, You get it out, then you fix it. And a lot of people, I think, still think
1: you have to. When it comes out, it needs to be perfect. Yep. And it's like, oh my god, nobody, literally nobody. Wants to do that. Yep. <laughs> and that's why, with a lot of the pieces, I know there's grammatical mistakes in my own work. I know that, you know, potentially I use the wrong words for things. On that article, I had my husband read it. And that's also what I do by putting something out very sensitive. If I mention somebody in the article, I would always let them read it and give them, you know, the. Um, respect to actually say I don't want this up there but you know he'd be like you've used like you meant this word but you you need another word but I think it's just about actually saying that's okay yeah The the point of it is just to be real and you know yes I'm dyslexic there will be spelling mistakes I use a spell checker I try and edit it the best I can but I think that's also what makes it authentic yeah when people say they're not a writer (laughs) they worry that actually they can't express themselves. And I do also think when you're writing in another language, Mm. that also can be tricky for people because... (gasps) Oh, you just had me... I'm sorry, I
0: just thought of something. (laughs) There's all these different stories that I've heard that just connect to all kinds of things. Elizabeth Gilbert, unfortunately known for E. Love, which mm-hmm. is a fine book as a person and as a creative person and as a writer, I think what she writes about creativity is very interesting and mm-hmm. very touching. And she has this book that I'm not going to remember the name of, but I'll put it in the show notes. And chapter five of this book that I can't think of the name of, damn it, um, is um, she delves into getting comfortable with creativity and she talks about this one author who I do not remember the name of who was having a really she always had a really hard time writing it was always excruciating she would always have to lock herself away and she would just it was a really painful process and she was like you know what I'm gonna try something different and so she rented a beach house she uh, hired two of her friends, because they were working, so they knew, you know, she was like, look, I'm going to pay for the weekend, I'll pay you to be my assistant. She's like, I want to just tell you stories. And so she'd like make kind of an outline, and they, she would tell them a story, they would ask her questions, she'd make notes of their questions, she'd go in the room, she'd, she'd write some more, and then she'd get the next story ready. And she did this over and over and over again, and they had food, and they had drink, and then we did this conversation over and over and over again, and she said it's the quickest she's ever gotten through a book is because she focused on the stories and mm-hmm. she got her voice into it more because she was having a conversation about the story and all that kind of stuff. And it's that, I think we get caught up
1: in the written form. Yes. Yeah. And I would say with a lot of articles, I've thought about writing them in my head mm-hmm. many days, if not weeks. Mm-hmm. So. And I think sometimes <laughs> you just have to commit to just writing it and you can go back and self-edit. Mm-hmm. You know, um, If you think about the perfect start to something mm-hmm. i don't think you'll ever make it because ever. there is no perfect start yeah. i think it's just about saying okay you know i, I start the that post but this is probably the most difficult post i'll ever write mm. you know that's not a great start to any post but it's just i it exactly just honest. like i just have to start in some way and actually yeah. then it will flow i think it's the you need sometimes the momentum and if you worry about the they editing and being perfect, yeah. it's difficult to get that momentum. Yeah. Big
0: Magic is the name of the book. It finally came into my brain. Chapter 5. That chapter is, is monumental. But oh, yeah. I w- yeah,
1: also say that I have taken to having a notebook in my bag, a physical notebook mm-hmm. with a pen, Yep. Um, <laughs> that I just write in. Yeah. And it won't be about things for the blog, it will be like, you know, today I did this and then I felt this way and then I try to do five points of gratitude at the end oh, that's beautiful. but just to physically write something and maybe that has been a, a support for me and then writing an article online mm-hmm. just the fact of being comfortable with writing
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, because probably it's you know we write emails and we write in quite a formal mm-hmm. way but with things like social media and television and it's not often that you just write for writing's sake mm. you tend to write for a purpose yeah. you know something so, you want to yeah. tell people something or show people something yeah yeah and I think if you work especially for a corporate company there's always a certain style of that writing mm-hmm. so you know writing if you don't write in a journal actually do you ever get a chance to just write mm. for the joy of writing or to write to tell something mm-hmm. somebody something that isn't in a professional way, if that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, yeah, But yeah. like, I guess my question is, how often do we actually write from the heart? And I think that's where my approach yeah. has been of, just, just going to write from the heart. Yeah. The grammar might be terrible. The yeah. words might be wrong. But, but... It's, ab- it's about the message. Yes.
0: Meaning meaning is conveyed. Yeah. Mistakes are mistakes. Who cares? We make mistakes when we speak to each other all the time. And that's why we have things like, what, did you say this? I don't get it. What's that? You know, that's why we have those phrases. is because it's about the message, not in Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Thank you for sharing all of this. You gave me some definite things to think about about the our online stuff and that the freedom that can come with living overseas. Even using the same online space that you had used in a different place, there was still your offline experience catapulted all this other stuff. We think often in online and offline ideas, but they're so interlaced in some way totally interconnected yeah yeah. so who knows what'll happen with all of this but it's fun to ponder (laughs) (laughs) so thank you for pondering all of this with me thank you for having me listeners i'll put all of the links and whatnot to what we talked about in the show notes all right well thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Virtual Expat and special thank you again to Damon Castillo for the music and to our special guest this time. If you'd like to be interviewed for this podcast, just send me an email or contact me on social media in the show notes. You can find all my information or you can just jot it down right now. Are you ready? You ready? Here we go. Steph Fuccio, S-T-E-P-H-F-U-C-C-I-O, Gmail, Instagram, Twitter, Tumblr. There you go. Contact me. Oh, also LinkedIn too. You know what? I keep forgetting about that one. Hey, thank you so much for listening. And I look forward to your questions, comments, feedback, any information, and volunteering to be on the podcast as well. Thank you so much and have a wonderful, wonderful day on or offline.